Lord, help me only to say what you would have me to say, nothing more, nothing less. And, and Lord, I just ask that, that you would use um, me in this way, Lord, not for my own glory, but for yours, so that if someone in here in this, in this sanctuary needs to be restored tonight, Lord, that they would, they would come to the realization that there is a particular recipe according to your word. Lord, I ask that uh, you would just continue to use our church in a great way here in Hattiesburg. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The restoration recipe. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're getting excited. Like, hey, recipe many times has to do with food. And who in here loves food? I, I love food. I was talking to Becky before her birthday. I said, well, you know, what's your favorite activity? And I just wanted to see maybe what's something that we could do or whatnot. I said, what is your, what is your favorite activity? And without hesitation, she said, food. Food's my favorite activity. I was like, okay, well, that's kind of a necessity. And so what's your favorite activity? And we got to a, a, a different thing that, that she said, but the, one of the first things out of her, her mouth was food. Food, and look, I love food, and I love a good recipe. In fact, I'm sure people in, in this, in, many of you in this room have several good recipes. And I asked you to do one thing. I asked you to, to share them with my wife. She needs some, okay? And uh, wow, no laughter at all. It's okay, where are you at? I love you, okay? And, uh, and, and so um, I'm trying my best. And, uh, and, and so, but if you have a good recipe, and, and I, I, I offer, hey, share, share it with us. And uh, though I will say, I never, I never trust the recipe. I like to watch the t- cooking show. I, I do. And uh, why? Because I like to eat. And I like to see what people are making. And, and you see guys like Bobby Flay, and they're out there, and, and, and they're talking, and they're cooking, and, and, they're, and, and they're going through their recipes and all these particular things. And then you look it up online, or you buy one of their recipe books, and then you try it. And it turns out nothing like that. And you're like, I watched you on that TV show. You didn't measure nothing. You just threw this recipe down just to make some extra money wasn't a real recipe and uh, I mean it got, got us close but I am glad that God gives us a recipe to make things and to make things better and there is something that there's that, that that we all have used at one point in time and that is restoration what is the definition of restoration that's the action of returning something to a former owner place or condition and I don't know much about restoring cars I know brother David you've restored a few uh, cars in, in your lifetime and and I don't know anything about restoring cars but what I do know about a, a car that is restored I like to look at them you see a car that's just been beautifully restored, and at the end you say, wow, what a masterpiece. And people show you the picture of what it started out as, and it just looks like it started out as this rusty old box. And then at the end it is something that is literally worthy of, of showing at a, at a car fair. And you look at it and say, wow, what craftsmanship. I believe that can be said of, of the same thing in our Christian life. And, and as we see many people that, that, that are our Christian heroes, if, if, you, if they were to give you their testimony, it would be that very same thing. I was nothing more than a rusty box. But God got a hold of me in this, res, this recipe for restora- restoration. And I'm so glad that there's restoration all over Scripture. I'm so glad that there's restoration all over this room. You can't turn your Bible but just a few pages to get to restoration with Adam and Eve. Aren't you glad that he wasn't just done with them? I'm so glad many of our favorite Bible heroes had that time of restoration. Aren't you glad that God wasn't just done with David when when he ascended? Aren't you glad that God wasn't done with Peter, even though Peter denied him? Aren't you glad that after all those times and and you read about the, the 
the schizophrenic children of Israel, always doing one thing and the other thing and the other thing and the other thing, and back and forth, back and forth, but God was always restoring them. Why? Because God is a God of restoration. But in that restoration, there is a very particular recipe. And that's the thing about a recipe. It's got to be followed. And we look around and we know the condition that, that we are in personally and we know the condition that, that our world is in and we look and we say, well, why is it like that? And we try all these particular things, but the one thing that we don't try is the recipe or the formula to actually do it right. You know, I'm not a mechanic in any sort of fashion. I'm not. But you know what I can do? I can pull up YouTube and I can follow a guy on YouTube pretty decently. Say, Why? Well, I can't do it. So I'm going to find somebody that can and follow his recipe to do it, step by step. And in this, in our own life, and this is what this psalmist is saying. I mean, he, he, he's, re, he, he's, he's telling us about his sinful state. And he comes to this realization of exactly what state he is in. And it moves him to correct it. And he's pleading with the Lord. And he's talking to, and he's expressing even his displeasure in himself, but the hope of what is to come. What a wonderful thing it is for restoration. I have four things for you tonight, and I do promise, I'm trying to, I will try to be quick, and uh, this is uh, more of a Sunday school lesson than it is a uh, Sunday night message, and, but I will try to be quick, and just have four quick things, and we will get out of here, all right? In this recipe, the very first thing that must happen is there must come the realization that sin has occurred. There must come the realization that very simply sin has occurred. I've been sharing this with my Sunday school class. We've been going through James, the common Christian, and, and many things that, that uh, this morning it was partiality and, and that we label as maybe character flaws or whatnot. We must label it just as simply what it is. It's sin. We have to look in that mirror and say, you know what? It's sin. Isn't that what we do for salvation? The very first step is we realize that we're a sinner. And, and, uh, but in, this, in regards to restoration and in our own Christian life and our spiritual life, we look at it and say, you know what? I know that there's sin in my life that must be removed. If we were restoring a car, we wouldn't leave all the rust there. Why, what does rust do? It destroys, it decays, it leaves holes, it weakens the, 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 the function of whatever it may be. I have uh, both of my cars were in the Midwest for several uh, years and therefore, but David, you've been working on them. There's a lot of rust on the bottom of those things. And, uh, uh, and that's just what happens. It decays and it spreads and it goes everywhere. And you, I have to recognize and say, you know what? Well, that's rust. I have to remove it. I have to take care of it. And sin is very, it's similar in that. It sticks to us and it decays and it ruins. I know that's y'all's favorite word for me to say, so I'm just gonna go ahead and throw it out there for you early, all right? And, and, uh, uh, and it destroys unless we realize it and see it and fix it and understand that sin has occurred. The psalmist here says, says, oh Lord, rebuke me, not in thine anger. Isn't that what we pray to the Lord so oftentimes? We want, we, we want the correction, I believe. Many times we come to the Lord. But we say, Lord, in your rebuking, please don't do it in thine anger. And aren't we so glad that God is a merciful God and he's long-suffering and, and he's slow to wrath? It says, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Here, this psalmist, he, he's revealing to us the two courses that God chooses for when he does discipline his children. We all know what discipline feels like. Uh, he mentioned it the other night that, that his dad was an all-star uh, in, in, in Spankins. And, uh, um, and we have something in common. So was my dad. I felt like he hit 
cleanup all the time, and, uh, um, and, and ours was different. Um, I'm one of four boys, and, and sometimes we didn't even get a chance to learn from our brother's mistake because it just seemed like many times it was every day we would come home, and, or he would come home, and we deserved it, and all four of us would go into his room, and, uh, and we would sit there and basically just go in line. Hey, well, here's yours, and then here's yours, and then here's yours, and here's yours. And, uh, and then you couldn't laugh at your brother getting spankings, or else you kind of incurred the wrath of all of it together, and they got to leave the room. And, uh, and so, uh, but, but it happened. And you know what I've learned? I learned very quickly. I don't like my dad's wrath. I didn't like the chastening. But now I look back on it and say, whew, I probably needed more. And, and we look at it and say, and, and here this psalmist is looking and says, you know what? I'm going to be chastened. Why? Because sin has occurred. It's there. I think many times in regards to restoration, we realize, we, I think many times we want to look to that car show car and say, wow, what a beautiful Chevelle that is, or a beautiful Mustang, or a beautiful whatever it may be. And we look at it and say, oh man, I want that so much. But what we don't want is we don't want the process of removing the rust to get there. You know what that takes? That takes hard work. That takes determination. And when we are in need of a spiritual restoration, we have to look and say, you know what? I have rust in my life. I have rust in, 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 in my life that must be removed. I have to identify it as such that this sin is there. And I have to understand that it's going to be a painful process to get it off. I don't know how that car feels as it's being, as you take a die grinder and cut the rusty parts off. I imagine if the car had feelings, it doesn't feel very good. The car doesn't have feelings, by the way. That movie Cars is just a cartoon, okay? And, uh, uh, but I imagine it doesn't feel very good. But then when it's finally off and the new parts are put on, and at the end, that we, and, and that's so oftentimes what we look at. We simply only ever look at the end result that we miss the process to which it got there. The psalmist here, he's saying, look, I, I, I know that there's going to be a time of chastening for me, and, and there's going to be a time of rebuking. And because that is what the Lord does, the Lord uh, loveth who he chastens, and chastens who he loveth. And, uh, and David, David himself even experienced this. Did he not? He was sorrowful, but he had to have a rebuking. He had to have a confrontation of what it was that was occurring in his life. And the first step in this recipe is to come to the realization that this sin is there. Are we going to work to, get, to remove it? Say, Brother Nate, how, how do we do that? How do I work to remove this sin? You know, we, we see, are you tonight? And this is, I believe, part of the reason why the Lord wanted me to preach this tonight. We, we see that, and, and may, maybe even many people in this room, uh, they, they need this program, and maybe, uh, maybe the program needs you to help in that program, okay? And, and, and to pray about that and, and allow the Lord to use you in that. You say, all these people come for help. And, and, and what do they do? They, they, they know that they need it. They know they need the help. They, they've, they've, they understand that there is a sin in their life. And then they're, they're asking one question. How does that get removed? How is it that, what is the process of, of taking that from me? Number two, second recipe, is it must be confessed. It must be confronted. Hey, we have to confront it. We have to say, look, I know this is in my life. I know the rust, rust is there. Do you know it does no good to just cover it up with Bondo? It doesn't. 
I, somebody gave me an old Ford pickup, and uh, when we first moved to, moved to Nebraska, it was a 95 uh, Ford pickup, and, and I was thankful, and, um, but I'm telling you, that truck probably weighed 1,000 pounds in Bondo. The truck was tan, and the Bondo dried tan, so it wasn't too bad, and, but up around the, the, the fenders and, and all through the, the back and such, I mean, it had Bondo everywhere. If you took and hammered maybe on some of the Bondo, it was just big old clumps would have fell off. You know, it didn't do any good for that truck to just be covered up in Bondo. And can I tell you in regards to sin, it doesn't do any good just to cover it up. That's never going to help you to get restored. That's never going to help me to get restored. And what we need more than anything in this, in, this, in this country right now is for Christians that are in need of restoration to get restored. And through that restoring, we have revival because there's a bunch of Christians willing to confess their sins. There's a bunch of Christians willing to confront the state of their being and understand, I got to remove this. I don't, want, I don't want that to be the weak link in my life. I think it's important for each and every one of us as dads to look at it and say, you know what, I have to examine myself each and every day for my four daughters in this room and, and say, you know what, what is it, Lord, that I need to remove? I don't want to just cover it up. Can we all be honest? We're probably all pretty decent at covering it up. Or at least we think we are. We're all pretty decent at, at, at putting on the, the, the suit and tie that covers up uh, the, the sinfulness that certainly is in our life. And we just act like it's simply not there. But can I tell you what it's still doing? It's still decaying. It's still a disease. It's like giving a cancer patient placebos. It's not doing anything for you. We have to understand that we must confront it. And then when we confront it, we must confess it. Verse number two says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. This word vexed in here that, that is described by the psalmist, it means inwardly tremble as in great fear. And he describes himself as such that he's vexed. And when the realization comes that sin is in your life, there will come the dread of punishment for that sin. There will. I think he preached on this from Lamentations the other day. That weight of sin that drags you down. And yes, we, we aren't to live that, that, uh, that, uh, through that oppression, so to speak, from that sin. Say, how do I cast that off? Well, very simply, I have to confess it. I have to confess it. Why? Because if we don't confess it, if all we do is realize that it's there, and by the way, we all realize that it's there. You do. I, I, I mention this all the time. I mentioned it this morning in my Sunday school class that we know the wicked sinner that we are, and God knows that even more than we do, but we certainly know. We do. We know it. I don't think anybody in here this, in this room that, that, that has sin in their life is sitting there thinking, oh, no, I, I don't have sin in my life. No, you're thinking about it right now. That's just what happens. And that's a good thing, that you can identify it. It is. But it's even a better thing to realize that I don't have to live under it. 
I don't have to live with it. I can look at it and say, I can confess it. Why? Because if you don't confess it, you're simply going to live a vexed life, one that's trembling in fear of what, what is might happen and, and, and think, oh, well, what if the Lord comes back right now? And if the Lord comes back right now, I know I'm not right with him. And, and you, you, you truly are just crippled in your Christian life to where you can't do anything for him. We must confess it. We must get rid of it. And, and, and don't, don't choose to ignore it. Why? Because if we do, it will magnify itself. It will manifest itself in our life. Guilt is such a, a, a hard thing to overcome. Everybody in this room has faced guilt before. I say, Brother Nate, how do you know that? Because everybody in this room is a sinner. And every time we give in to sin, we give in to wickedness, hopefully there is some guilt. But if we don't ask forgiveness, if we don't confess it, we know that it's just simply going to, to consume us. He that confesseth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. That's what Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says. And this recipe, it's, it's so sure. The sin must be confronted. The sin must be confessed. But look at how he, he confesses it. He says, my soul is also sore vexed. You know, I, I truly believe that this manner of confession very isn't simply, Lord, I said a bad word, amen. We're all guilty of that. Ever seen one of us in this room? Lord, I saw something I shouldn't have. Forgive me, amen. You see, we're still under the weight of the oppression of guilt and sin because we haven't truly confessed it. We haven't truly admitted to the Lord, Lord, my soul is vexed. It isn't God willing to always forgive us. So why do we shortchange the forgiveness? It's kind of like the girls asking for something and them asking for something so small when, when I actually have the ability to give them something so great. Sometimes they, they, they don't realize exactly what they could have. But we as Christians, we do. We realize that what exactly it means to have a good relationship with the Lord, one that isn't weighed down by the guilt of sin. We must understand that in order to uh, have full restoration, first, we must confront it. Number two, we must confess it. I'm trying to keep my promises. Number three, number three, we must separate from the cause of it. We must separate from the cause of it. What does the Bible say here? It says, number, verse number eight says, depart from me. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. For the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. It says, he says here, he says, you know what? I know what it is that's getting me into the state of needing restoration. And I don't want to just confess it I want to depart from the cause of it. Say, what is he doing? He's identifying what's causing the rust. 
Can I tell you why there's rust on our cars? It's the grime that they put down <laughs> on the highways up in the Midwest. It's corrosive. I hate it. And, and, and it ruins everything. It does. I know what it is. If you want to keep your car clean, don't drive up there in the snow. It's going to be there. Stay away from it. Avoid it. No matter how many times you go and you clean the undercarriage of your car, it's still going to be there. I want to get away from it. I can identify that. In regards to our sin, sinfulness, I don't think we have to look very hard to identify what causes it. I don't think we have to look very hard to identify who causes it. Very simply, and many times, even in, in the RU program, I know many times you look to say, what person maybe shouldn't I be around? What things shouldn't I be around? What place shouldn't I be around? A great deal of our sin trouble, very simply, comes from the wrong association. Who we're with. I know this, this is what we teach our kids, but for whatever reason, we forget it as parents. Whereas we need the exact same lessons. Can, can we ask ourselves sometimes that if somebody as wise as Solomon, anyone here as wise as Solomon? No, I didn't think so. Somebody as wise as Solomon could get wrapped up in the wrong association to get him to turn away from the Lord. And yet we think in our pridefulness that we can remain associated with what causes us to fall into iniquity and say, no, they're not going to cause me to stumble and fall. They're not going to cause me to get a rust spot. They're not going to cause me to have uh, a, a, an area where I, where, where, where I messed up my life. And yet it happens every time. And we identify it with our kids. And, and, and I think it's important that we identify it with our children. And we talk to them and say, you know, is that person a good influence in your life? Is that person a bad influence in your life? Is that person, uh, is that person somebody that could get you in trouble? Is that some, somebody that is helping you in your Christian walk and all those particular things? I think those things are important to ask. And you say, well, maybe you should limit your time around that person. But when we're going through the checklist or the recipe of restoration, don't we think that's just as important for us as an adult? As an adult? You say, what do I want to stay away from? I don't want to ruin the recipe. My wife and I were out of town, and I may have given this illustration before, and my mom and dad had come up to our house, and they were going to stay with, with the girls uh, during the week, and my dad was going to preach at my church for me, and, and those things, and uh, we had gotten a phone call, um, I think just a few days in, and Becky and Emma are talking to us, and they are saying, Daddy, Meemaw made the worst toast ever. It's like, well, toast isn't that hard. I mean, you just put it in and it's not hard. And I, and I was like, well, what happened? And so uh, my dad got on the phone and he's laughing. He's telling us what happened. And my mom, uh, she woke up and she was just trying to feed the girls and, and she's in there. And I think she was making some sort of cinnamon bread or cinnamon toast or something of that nature. And, and uh, she gets it out there and, and however you make cinnamon toast. And you know, normally you put some sugar on there, right? 
And, uh, uh, but there's also another type of little white stuff that's kind of granule as well. It's called salt. They don't taste the same ever, okay? And, uh, and so uh, my mom is making it for them. And, and, uh, um, and so my girls at times maybe can be picky. And so my mom said that she started to feed the girls and Becky all of a sudden took the first bite and she was like, Mima, this tastes so bad. <laughs> Not mincing words. And my mom was like, well, just get over it and eat it. I was like, good for you, Mom. That's exactly what you used to tell us. Get over it and eat it. And, uh, and so my dad happened to come downstairs at the same time, and uh, she had made some for him, and, and he took a big bite of it, and he was like, Amy, this tastes terrible. And she was like, well, I don't know what. It's just, it's just cinnamon bread for breakfast, and it's just some butter and some cinnamon and some sugar. It's not hard. And uh, he said, well, where'd you get the sugar from? And he looked in there. He says, that's not sugar. That's salt, and it tastes bitter. And so they're all complaining about it, and, and yet the twins are just over there eating all of it, like, hey, whatever. So they're just babies, and so it's like, well, I guess let's just not let it go to waste, and they're, they're just eating it and eating it, and they didn't know no different. But the ones who did know, they realized something was not right with the recipe. It didn't turn out right. It turned out bitter. And the ones that didn't know, well, <laughs> they're just eating it. They don't know no better. That's a lot like the person that's saved and the person that's lost. The person that's saved gets into a life of sin, and they know, they know better. They, they understand that where the recipe called for sugar, they chose salt. The lost person, they're like, hey, it's white and it looks the same. I guess it's just fine. But we must understand that we have to have a separation from the cause of sin. What is it? Because if, if we don't leave the cause of, of what it is that's causing us to stumble, it's just going to be a repeat cycle and repeat cycle and repeat cycle each and every time. And then lastly, is there comes a testimony of restoration. It comes a testimony of restoration. It says here at the end, it says, the Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. Here the psalmist is telling us that the Lord heard him. He confronted it. He confessed it. He's, he's separated from it. Then he's saying aloud, the Lord heard me. The Lord heard me. You say, why is that important? Well, it's important because the devil also, well, he knows what he's doing too. And when we come to that time of restoration, the devil knows, loves nothing more than to point out the imperfections. There's an imperfection there. There's an imperfection there. There's an imperfection there. It's like a car show judge. Something to us, when we walk by it, we look at it and like, man, that thing's awesome. Car show judge comes by. No, there's imperfection here, here, and here. But here the psalmist is saying, you know what? I'm not going to give my detractors a chance to use this publicly against me. I'm going to go ahead and stand up publicly and say, the Lord heard me. I needed restoration. I was sinful. 
I've turned from it. And therefore, God has restored me. I think many times what happens in the restoration process is we get all the way through this. And yet maybe there isn't a time of, of, of testimony to it. And something happens and the devil brings that situation up. And what does it do? It hurts us. It breaks that restoration. Say, why? Because the devil has used it against you. He's used it against you. He, he, he's called your play before you did. You know, in this time of restoration, you say, what am I saying? Don't delay. God has restored you. God is restoring you. Say, I'm not, I'm not telling you to go and tell your secrets to everybody. That's not what I'm telling you at all. Don't dwell on your sin. That's not what I'm telling you at all. But what I am saying is that don't be afraid to share that testimony of restoration. Because I guarantee you, somebody else needs it. We could start on this side of the pew with Brother Bo and go all the way around the room. And we would hear story, testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of restoration. You might be like, I never do that. I'm not saying a testimony should glorify sin. I'm, I'm not for that at all. But this evening, if you are in need of that restoration, can I tell you, we've all been a project car. None of us are the shiny Chevelle at the car show. We're still getting worked on. Don't not be restored simply for fear of the abrasion of the rust removal, the sin removal. Don't not be restored simply for the, 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 the shame that the devil will make you feel of what well, people are going to know. But look, people already do know. You do, God does. Those two matter more than anything else. And that relationship between you and him is far more important than any relationship that, that exists in this room. Say, why must we be restored? Why, why must we search for that restoration? I don't know about you, but in my life, I want to bring honor and glory to his name. I don't do a good job of that a lot of times. I told our Sunday school class this morning, we're supposed to be ambassadors. We're supposed to walk worthy of our vocation. And I don't want to be a rust box driving down the road with sin all over me, refusing to get rid of it. Why? Because my license plate says I'm a Christian. And I want to be restored to allow him to use me however he has chosen to use me. You know, a restored vehicle is a little bit more dependable than an unrestored one. 
We used to have this car, I don't even, I think it was called a, pin, a Pinto. Is that, was that a car before, a Pinto? And uh, it was ugly. It, it was one of my brother's first cars. And um, I'm not sure what happened, but you had to take the key and you had to take a like stretchy cord and you had to tie it to where it would actually stay in the on position or else it would turn itself off. And it was tied all around like above and, and, and that car was, <laughs> I don't know how we didn't die in that car. When you went down the, 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 when we went down the road in that, well, you knew, well, somebody's still working towards something, something better. Now, hey, if that's what the Lord, and that's what the Lord gave us at that time. And it got us from our house to the basketball court. So it worked. And, uh, and, and wherever else we needed to go, but it needed some work. But I want to be useful. I want to be dependable. I want the Lord to know that it's going to start every time. I want the Lord to know that if he gives me a task, I'm going to get the point A to point B every time. I, I want him to know that when he gives me a recipe to make brownies, I'm not going to make cookies. I don't make brownies either. But I hear people do, okay? And uh, I make a pretty decent peach chocolate. And uh, um, I'll share the recipe with you later. And, but be restored. Don't wait any longer. It's a fool's errand to sit here in your rust, in your sin. Don't wait any longer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for everything you do for us. Lord, I ask you that 